Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're talking tight ends today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 319. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with 12-year NFL veteran and a local guy from right here in Drexel Hill, right outside Philadelphia, and Anthony Beck, a former first-round pick at tight end who played for a handful of teams in the league and still does a lot of work around the game. And we're bringing Anthony on just to talk about specifically the tight end position. What are the qualities that make a good tight end in the NFL? How has the position changed over the course of the last decade plus? And we will, of course, talk about Florida tight end Kyle Pitts, one of the hottest names in this NFL draft. How high would Anthony take him in the draft? What has he seen from him? What kind of impact can he have in an NFL offense? We're going to hit it all right here at the top of the show. Before we get going, though, with Chalk Talk, just a couple of quick things to hit on. First up, I wanted to quick remind you guys just to head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've liked some of the episodes that we've aired recently over the last couple of weeks, go on. Let me know. If you've got an idea that you want something heard, if you have a question, go on. Leave us a, a, a rating. Leave us a comment. Leave the question in the comment box, and we will hit on it. If you've got something uh, you know, the, from this past season that you want Ben and I to study in Scouting Report, that is the place to go. So really appreciate everybody that has continued to give us your support uh, over on the Apple Podcast page and on Stitcher, really wherever you listen. Next up, I also want to give you guys a heads up. Look, we're getting closer and closer to the NFL Draft. We're fifty under 50 days away now at this point uh, from Draft Weekend. So... Make sure you go and get up to speed over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're starting to our transition this week to the offensive line. Who are the top blockers in this upcoming NFL draft? We know the Eagles had a lot of young guys play up front this year due to injury, but if you're a fan that wants to see them add more competition to that room, I suggest you make sure and go subscribe to get this week's slate of episodes. Greg Cosell is going to pop by later this week as well to talk about some of his top players that he's studied on film. You don't want to miss any of this analysis. Be sure to go check that out over on the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found. All right, with all that out of the way, let's now get this show started. It's time to kick things off with Anthony Becht in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome here to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, uh, not only a 12-year NFL vet, but uh, a Philly guy and Anthony Becht. Uh, Anthony, thanks for joining us here on the show. Yeah, no doubt. It's good to be on. Talk a little ball. You know, the, the season ends, you get a couple weeks off, and then all of a sudden you're, you're knees deep in the draft and, and some of these college players for teams and free agency. So it's, uh, it's year-round, it's exciting, and a lot of teams, uh, you know, to look forward to some of the decisions that they make moving forward. Yeah, no question. And we will dive a little bit uh, into that process. But I want to ask you this. When, you know, we're going to talk a lot about tight end play. And as I said, you played 12 years in the league. And I just want to know like, how it all started for you at the tight end position. Because uh, you know, not everybody plays it all the way growing up. At what point uh, did you make the change? What did you play beforehand? And what was kind of going through your mind when uh, you were presented with the change to go, you know, move to tight end? Yeah, so, so when I was you know, going to school, playing in the Philadelphia Catholic League at Bonner uh, High School, uh, you know, I, I was I was a tight end, but I split out a lot. You know, I was six, four and a half at the time, 185 pounds. 
as a tight end. We actually had another receiver who was six four and a half, six five as well, two hundred twenty five pounds. He should have probably been playing the tight end, but we would split out a ton, and you know we'd have some some nice options for our quarterback there. So you know I, I tried to learn the position as best I could. Uh, during that time, I wasn't a very good blocker in high school. You know, none of those things, you know, I wasn't in a weight room guy. You know, I was just kind of a thin, frail, tall guy that, you know, could run a little bit, had good hands. And and when I got to West Virginia, I had to put on a ton of weight. The number one thing that I had to learn was, you know, how to build my body up. Uh, you know, I, I checked in at like 215 pounds the first day of training camp, which, you know, again, wasn't very big and, and had to, you know, kind of build myself up. But, you know, I remember I would, you know, the old adage was, uh, you know, to put mass on, you got to eat whatever. So I would eat like a me and my roommate, who was another kind of a diamond in the rough guy. He was six eight, like two forty. So he was trying to put on weight too. He played defensive end. Okay. So we would get a pizza every night during the week, and uh, we would uh, split it every single night. It was a place across the street. It was like four dollars for a pizza, <laughs> and we just bang one out every single night. Ice cream. You know, we need extra meals over at the campus. And, you know, finally, you know, once that happens and I started to hit the weight room quite a bit and got into a, a regimen of lifting, my body started to change, got bigger, stronger. And ultimately, you know, just from the fact of transitioning my body to build up into that position kind of started to formulate what I was going to be. You know, I never had any aspirations of playing in the NFL when I went to college. It was just all about getting a scholarship, playing at a big school and, you know, trying to, you know, make the most of my career that way. And I thought that was kind of the end of the success. And then once I got to the, um, to the end of my junior year, you know, you start opening the, you know, the street and Smith's magazines and some of those publications and all of a sudden, you know, your name's like either one or two of the, in the country as far as a position. So, you know, I learned how to block a little more, you know, I, I, you know, put the weight on. And then ultimately by my senior year, I came into the league. Now coming into the league, you know, the tight end position was a little different back in, you know, not too long ago to, uh, in 2000 was, you know, a lot of teams the complete tight end. I'll be quite honest with you. It's the same now as it was then, mm. but it's just the way they use them is much different. We'll probably get into that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, when I came in, I thought that I was going to be, you know, I was a complete guy. I could run routes. I could catch. There was mismatch problems. And then I could block. I was a very good blocker in college. But when I came to the league, that was kind of like my Achilles heel. I mean, you're talking about grown men, a lot of a lot more defensive ends. Uh, you know, you didn't get a lot of the the the, the three, four defenses uh, early on, at least when I played, I think the Patriots were really the only team that were doing it. After that, I was just blocking defensive ends all the time. That was a huge challenge for me. And it took me about two and a half, three years to make that transition, get coached up properly, and then kind of build myself and morph myself into, you know, a tight end that ultimately could play 12 seasons in the NFL. What was the hardest part of when you were making that transition to, you know, be a, a full, you know, uh, three down tight end? What was the toughest part for you? Was it uh, the route running aspect? Was it the blocking? What, what was the toughest part for you in college? You know, you really got to work it. I mean, I didn't come in naturally gifted. You know, I was a first round draft pick. I did a lot of things good, but I didn't really have anything in my repertoire that was great. So I over, I was an overachiever, you know, someone that was accountable, smart. And, you know, you just, you know, just knew where he was going to be. He did what you asked and you were good enough to be a mismatch match problem, uh, you know, from a passing game and develop yourself, hopefully moving forward in, in, in the, uh, in the blocking side of it. I think for me, it just comes down to, you know, an attitude. I think there's a lot of players in the league that we see at tight ends that, you know, oh, he can't block. He's a pass. You know, th that, that was the same thing that they were saying about me. You know, when I came into the league, there were coaches, I heard them, you know, ah, he can't block, he can't do it. I mean, those things propel you and, and push you to know that, that that's important part of being a dominant tight end. Like you said, staying on the field for all three downs. 
I didn't want to come off the field. I didn't want him to have a receiver come in when we needed yards in the passing game. And I didn't want to put a tackle in to block as well on the important down and distances. So I wanted to be in the game every single down. So it's just, you know, the technique and just having a mindset of just changing your attitude, just wanting to be more physical, wanting to be more an attacking player. I think everybody's got it in them. It's just you got to find it uh, in a lot of these guys that come out. They're not asked to do those things now. So you got to find it, dig deep and, and let them know that's a big part of it. And really, that's what extended my career. You know, if I was just catching balls and running routes, uh, you know, I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did. I had to add another feature to my game and to make myself, you know, more, uh, uh, you know, kind of needed throughout the throughout my NFL time. And I think from a route running standpoint, I remember when I came in the league, it was so funny. I mean, you know, I had decent speed. I was, you know, I knew all the routes, ran the route tree pretty good. But, you know, I remember the first couple of preseason games when I was out there running routes, man, like there were so many people just crossing my eyes and my face. Everything was so fast. I just couldn't slow the game down. And it took a while. It really did because, you know, these guys, grown men with tremendous amount of speed, intellect, knowledge, and you're coming in, really don't know anything, and you're trying to fit your fit yourself in. So I give a lot of credit to the guys that come in and actually are game changers their rookie year. It really is tough to do. Uh, even if you're a high round draft pick, you know, top five, top 10 guy, I mean, you know, this league's got a ton of great players and for you to just jump in there. And if you're good enough to be successful, that that's an impressive feat for any rookie. I feel like that's like an undersold part of it is that, you know, people talk about the jump in play speed from college to the NFL all the time. But when you play close to the ball and you're playing, you know, between the hash marks, I mean, you have multiple guys that are moving at much higher speeds. Yeah. It's not just, oh, I'm lined up outside the numbers and this guy runs 4-3. Yeah, that's a part of it. But it's like when you're dealing with all of the moving parts uh, that go along with playing between the numbers, that's a tough feat. Yeah, you know, you got to get a feel for the playing field, you know, and when you're coming off the line, a lot of times in my pass routes, my eyes always went to the safety, you know, where are the safeties that kind of dictated a lot. But if you're just locked into the safety and you run off the line of scrimmage, all of a sudden, you know, Ray Lewis is coming towards you, covering you, knocking you on your butt or Bill Romanowski is, is tra trailing you uh, on, a, on an underneath shallow route. And all of a sudden you sit in space and he's right there and he smashes you to the ground. So those unexpected things. Right. So also learning how to study the game, you know, uh, film wise, that took time. I mean, you know, to just jump in and just assume you know how to do all these things, even when you're as high drafted as, as I was coming out, there's just a lot more work that needs to be done. Some guys understand that they grasp onto that and they dig deep in it. And some guys just try to continue to maintain and, and go off the talent that got them to that level. But, you know, that's surely not enough. And you see those guys that, that flake out every single season that get drafted high. It's, you know, it's much more to do with the work that they put in once they get there than actual the skill set or the failure for them to not live up to expectations athletically or, you know, uh, talent wise on the football field. What were some of the points in your career where, I mean, you'd mentioned earlier, kind of like hearing the noise about what coaches would say about you as yeah. a blocker. Uh, did you have certain points or breaking points in your career where you're like, all right, like this is where, you know, this light went on or where I kind of made this jump. Uh, what were those points and how did you kind of get to that point? You know, for me, it was it was very early on because, you know, I was drafted by Bill Parcells and Al Groh was the head coach at the time. Yep. And those, that that whole crew left after year one. Yep. So here comes Hearn Edwards, uh, you know, the, the new head coach, and then uh, Terry Bradway, who's kind of a, a local Philly guy, uh, Jersey, South Jersey guy, you know, who was the longtime GM. And no, look sat in their office and they, they pledged the dream. They told me that they're going to utilize me. Like, you know, they came from Kansas city. So, you know, we got, you know, the offense like Tony Gonzalez, we're going to get you the ball and all this stuff was exciting. And then, you know, a year later they go and draft another tight end. So, you know, now you're always trying, you know, the, the old ad is you're always, they're always trying to replace you. Right. So 
that kind of early on gave me kind of the wiring that I needed to understand that every year I came into training camp, regardless of what the deal was or where I was drafted, someone was always trying to take my position. And that kind of pushes you as a player. If it doesn't, you'll get replaced and someone will come in and take your spot. And, you know, that's the one thing, you know, when I was there, they drafted that guy. He was there for three seasons. My last three years, he never took my spot until I left. That, that was something. And then I went in to the next team with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, you know, came in my first year. John Gruden brought me in. And again, same situation. They drafted a tight end that first year. Uh, really good tight end out of Stanford, Alex Smith. And we worked together. But over those three seasons in Tampa, was never able to be the starter. But we worked in complementary with each other. And I helped him. I helped him, you know, to grow and, and, and develop himself as a player. So, you know, you can still be competitive. You can still, you know, have that, that juice and fire at your position to be great and continue. But you got to have something that drives you. That's, that's probably the biggest thing that drove me early on because the fact that I experienced experience that early. A lot of guys don't experience that to maybe later in their career because either they're getting older, like, oh, here's the guy that replaced you. But when you happens, you know, your third year in the league and you're a first round pick and there's new coaches and GMs, you start to worry about those things and you can either fold and crash or you take it to the next level, excel and take on the competition. It only makes you better as a player. And that truly was another element of why it helped me play for 12 seasons in the NFL. Who were the guys uh, during your career that were the toughest matchups for you in terms of, oh, you know, man. trying to deal with them from a defensive standpoint. Yeah. So number one, and uh, I tell this to everybody and a lot of people don't really embrace what he did. And, you know, he did a lot of great things. You know, I think he's the all time leading sacker in Super Bowl history in Super Bowl games, but Willie McGinnis, the defense stand up defensive end for the new England Patriots was to me, uh, when I was playing, he was the dominant force on the outside. I just felt like, you know, he was one of the guys that I truly had problems with blocking. I couldn't get it in my hands into him. He had long arms. He was big. He could run. He could get to the quarterback. You know, he he was a matchup problem for me. And I was a bigger tight end, someone that should be able to handle that. But technician-wise, he was able to put it all together. You know, there's a lot of guys that are big and strong, but they don't have the tech know how to use their hands or there's guys that are you know not as big and not as strong but they counter because they have great hands and they can do other things or they got speed so he was kind of my nemesis for a long time it really took me till I went to the Buccaneers and he was on the back end of his career in Cleveland where I finally <laughs> dominated him in a game but it didn't matter because Cleveland yeah. stunk and we beat him and he didn't care he's like hey man I'm just getting my it was like his third contract at the time and you know we kind of chuckled after the game but you know I'm like man I finally got you Willie he's like hell man it took you long enough I'm like heck I'm on the back end of my career but uh, he's one of the guys. Jason Taylor was a, a premier outside uh, stand-up defensive end pass rusher. Uh, again, another guy, just tremendous usage of long arms. You know, wasn't the biggest cat from a thickness standpoint, but just had a great ability to just, you know, you weren't able to get into him. And he was just a tremendous problem for tackles, let alone tight end. So that was a huge mismatch. And, and another guy that was more of a battle because, you know, he's just a bigger defensive end. We didn't play uh, during the season every year, but always in preseason. Michael Strahan for the Giants. He's a guy that you, you know, line up right over the tight end's head. He was going to try to come right through you. And if you didn't man up and, and, and bring force to it, then you were, you're ultimately going to get smashed. And, you know, he, he didn't think very highly of tight ends. And one thing, you know, getting to know Michael when I was playing in New York, you know, one of the you know greatest compliments that I had gotten from, from a defensive end is, you know, uh, during that time later in our career, you always said, man, you're always the toughest tight end I ever had to go against hmm. because you're the guy that took it to me, took the punch, took the battles, and they didn't want to deal with that. And those are the things. Those are the kind of respects and the, the, the kind of words you want to hear from guys. But those are three players that I remember that stood out that just, to, to my day, I, I forget a lot about football, but I remember those matchups versus those three guys, and, and they were definitely, uh, they were heated battles for many years.
So I was interested to see who you would bring up and the kinds of players you would bring up. And you brought up, you know, big physical uh, kind of pass rushers, outside players. And I feel like if you ask a lot of tight ends now, those answers might be a little bit different. That's why I wanted to ask you and just kind of transition to kind of the evolution of the position in your mind. Your rookie year in 2000, there were more fullbacks in the league that had 70 catches in a season uh, than tight ends. Tony Gonzalez was the only guy. But then you get to your final year in 2011, there were seven of those guys that had 70 plus catches. And you kind of see what the position has turned into now with all of these kind of hybrid players um, in your mind, what has led uh, this change at the position? And was there kind of a turning point? Was there a specific player or a couple of players that kind of turned the tide and kind of turned it into what it is now? I think the evolution of the quarterback has changed offenses across the NFL. You know, you see now NFL offenses are more catered to the to the style of players in the in college that, you know, are kind of the showcase quarterbacks that maybe in the past weren't necessarily going to be the ideal draft picks for teams, you know, the mm-hmm. Bakers and the Kyler Murrays and the Lamar Jackson. So, you know, you, you're starting to see now that with that, you, you're looking for a little more Uh, athletic tight end that's a little more gifted in the passing game where he becomes much more of a matchup versus safeties, linebackers. He can be split out. The blocking aspect is wanted and it's needed, but it's not begged upon. It's not, they're not asking them to go out there and block these guys all, you know, 65 plays of the game. Get in front of the guy. Be a, be a nuisance to them, you know. They're, they're not asking them to go drive them down and, and, and create holes. They got linemen to do that. So, again, that's how the games change. And, you know, you want tight ends that are a little more fluent in the in the route running game. You know, can they get away from the garbage in the middle up through the second level? Can they do it with speed? You know, can they track the ball like a receiver? Can they leap and jump and and do all these things? You know, a lot of those things I had, but there were, again, wasn't great at any of those things. It was just a complete buildup to get what you wanted. So a lot of those tight ends, I mean, you know, you look at a guy like, uh, you know, I think the most complete tight end in the NFL, and he's the best blocker too, uh, I say this. He's the best blocking tight end that 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 can give you a little bit of the pass game is Nick Boyle from the Ravens. Mm. Now he's been uh, he, he's hurt last year. But, you know, he's a guy that kind of old school reminded me of myself. I actually trained him a little bit when he came out of Delaware. So I got to see him and I immediately just took a liking to him because he is a complete guy. Now, they don't they have other tight ends that they throw to and utilize in that offense. But he's an important part of it that they missed uh, dearly in the playoffs. A guy like Gronk, he does everything well, man. He loves the block. He did a ton of it this year and he still got it. He still catches. But he was a mismatch problem. Didn't beat you with a lot of speed, but he was able to just muscle you, get in position to catch the ball if it was in his area he was able to pluck it and you were never able to kind of get over or through him he was just such a big strong uh, weapon and then once he did catch the ball and got in the open field he did have enough speed to keep the distance he needed and then you go to a guy like you know in between me and those guys like a Jason Witten Jason Witten to me a third round draft pick out of Tennessee nobody expected him to do much at all in the NFL level but the thing about him is you know Bill Parcells coached him I believe in Dallas is that they force fed fed him the ball early on and they made him believe that he was going to be a guy that could win. He never had tremendous speed, but he always seems to be open. He always finds that spot. And he became really a craftsman at running routes. And then, you know, you got all the way now where you got a Kelsey uh, or a Darren Waller who just uh, just immediately is a matchup problem. These guys run routes as good as anybody. Uh, they're excellent uh, in yards after the catch. And just, again, I think that's what you're looking for. That You don't ask them to block too much. If they have to, they will. But if you can start running these guys through the second, third level, there's nobody that can stop them. They really are unstoppable. So, uh, again, you're starting to see that. You see one coming out of the draft this year as well. And teams are going to be high on that, man. That's the ideal uh, 
kind of receiving tight end that guys won. And if they can bring a little nastiness and attitude, that's a bonus. That's what I wanted to ask you about uh, that player. That that's is Kyle Pitts uh, out of the University of Florida. And yeah. Kind of a guy after your own heart. The uh, uh, the Philly transplant that ends up down in Florida. Uh, you know, Pitts is. I mean. Just a freak yeah. of athletically. I mean, what he does from a, a skill set standpoint, I'm interested to kind of get uh, what you've seen from him and how you feel he could project based off what you've seen. He's a monster now. He's a monster matchup problem uh, versus really any NFL defense. Uh, you know, he's not the biggest tight end as far as weight wise. I think he has some room to grow there. But, uh, you know, just watching him to me, you know, the one thing people see him as a route runner, he is actually uh, extremely well versed in blocking. You know, he, he shoots his hands inside very well. He sinks his hips. He is an attacking tight end. So he goes at the defensive ends. I really like the way he he has the mold and attitude to be a guy. Now, once he gets on him and fights him, which he will do, eventually his his lack of weight and size kind of gets at him. But, you know, a lot of the problems with tight ends coming out that run a lot of routes and, you know, they're more of a receiver is just they don't want to attack. He's got a little dog in him, which is nice to see. So that's going to be a huge bonus for him, even though to me he's never going to be asked to block because, you know, when he runs routes, it's, it's as good as it gets. I mean, this kid uh, sinks his hips out of the routes, can whip in and out uh, any angled coming out of his break as good as any receiver. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any linebackers that can cover him, and I haven't seen any safeties that, you know, have, have been able to be effective against him. And then you bring him out and split him out to the receiver end where he can run slants in that tight quarter area down in the red zone, and he's got good enough feet and quickness to beat you on a slant, a go, a fade, uh, and of course, he's got uh, extremely high athletic ability as far as vertical jump and being able to high point balls at, at, at that level. Um, you know, pass pro, if he if he's asked to do that, the one thing about him is if he's not blocking a guy or he's in protection, he will look for work, meaning yep. he's going to try to hit a guy in the ribs that the tackle's engaged with. He's going to try to bring some of that. So again, have that attitude, have a little bit of that dog is something that's important. Uh, you know, one thing that I noticed on film, to be quite honest with you, as dominant as he was in the passing game, I felt like they they uh, that that Florida for at least for himself was really not as used as much. And I, that might be more on Kyle because Kyle is a guy to me, he didn't look like, you know, when he kind of knew he wasn't going to get the football, he kind of took off some routes and, and not in a negative way. I just feel like if he ran everything, like he was going to be the guy, he may have caught 20 more balls during the season. Mm -hmm. You see him sometimes he's so gifted that when he gets out there, he just kind of, you know, the first five yards, he's always the first guy up through the first five yards of the route across the board. And then all of a sudden he starts like slowing down, or if he sees a defender in a spot where he's supposed to be, he, he probably assumes he's not getting the football. Uh, so the one thing I would say is, which is going to be something he can easily change. That's just more of a do thing is just run every route. Like he's going to you know, win every single time. If he does that, I think that just takes him to another level because you know, that that's the kind of thing that, you know, I don't think it's necessarily laziness. I just think that in his mind, he's not thinking about like every play he could be a dominant force or get the ball every time. And I think from a blocking standpoint, I, I compare him to a Randy McMichael, six, three guy played at Georgia, Miami guy. He's got a little bit of that dog in him. He's that same kind of guy, you know, he's just got that little bit of dog in him. So look, a lot of people project him to go high. I, I would seriously think about taking him as high as possible just because he is a matchup problem. He is going to be a, a game changer for any offense. He's going to be one of the best friends of the quarterback for sure. So he fits in a lot of systems, uh, you know, across the board that, you know, if you're using a tight end, he fits your system. So that's pretty much every offense out there. So he's going to be hard to pass up. You know, once they get through all the crap with the quarterbacks and who wants what and who wants this, you know, ultimately, do you have a quarterback that, okay, you may not them, but can he be that much better because of this kid on the field? I truly 
think he can raise the level of any quarterback play, uh, you know, in the NFL. I think that, you know, one of the big things from a usage standpoint that you see with tight ends all around the league is, uh, you know, lining him up outside as like the X receiver on the backside of trips and what that can do in terms of giving the quarterback some information pre-snap. And, you know, everybody tries to do it, but I feel like having that guy that can win as the X receiver, that that's the X factor. And I feel like uh, with him, I mean, he's he's instantly one of those guys in the league. Yeah, you know, it's it's it works both ways. I mean, it w- obviously within the field, you know, you're not going to just let your corner hang out there by himself. You're going to have to shift over a guy that normally you probably want to shift over, whether it's a backer inside or the safety slides over. Now, if you're in trips, like you said, you know, think about, you know, three seam routes opposed to go a crossing route. You know, who's going to be in those zones when you're dealing with this guy over here that pretty much is already won because of his size. And then when you get down into the red zone, you know, the 10 within the five yard line, you know what? You're one on one by yourself. He can run a slant like you said that he'll you know I, I just watched the film against uh I want to say it was uh Ole Miss where the first game of the year he just sticks his foot in the ground and the corner was on him he just basically runs right by him untouched for a touchdown from the five yard line he can do that same thing and then return back outside where if you're going to get overplay it then he's going to just stick his foot in the ground and then of course you got the fade route which I hate that but when you're talking about a guy that's you know six five or whatever he is that can go up and leap as good as he can you know that that's a problem uh for any defense for sure what do you feel is the most important athletic trait for tight end? You know, I think you mentioned like when you watch Gronk, it's not like Gronk is just running by everybody. We just did a thing yeah. where we studied all of Travis Kelsey's targets last year. He's not just running by everybody. Uh, what did you feel when you watch guys or, you know, for when you played is the most important athletic trait? So two things I think are really important to be, you know, really dominating and understand it is number one, your uh, your explosion off the line of scrimmage into your route. I really think it's it's such a, problem when you can get off and you don't have to be the fastest tight end to do this when you get off the line of scrimmage because you hear the snap count a little easier than you know where the receivers are asked to watch the football where you can get through into the second third level of the defense as fast as you can and then ultimately the next trait is the the your your body controller i like to call it fluency if that's even a word where you're coming out of your breaks and cuts and everything's in sync you know you your hips and your body can all turn with the cutting of your feet whether it's a speed cut or you're breaking it down and breaking in and out or hitting a post a corner whatever that may be you know having the ability to burst through the line up into the levels and then of course move your body as fluent and easy and track the football i mean you know you look at kelsey he does that really well you know you watch him get off the line of scrimmage man and he's got some blazers outside of him he's always in a position where you know his breaks and cuts are always smooth and he always has separation you know sometimes when you watch teams and maybe even seen with the eagles it always seems like it's a struggle to get a a a non-contested catch under the framework of the offense where a guy like that is able to get out there and get separation and find spaces and do things where it becomes a little more easier for quarterback to get that kind of rapport and you know that bang bang kind of throw play that he wants to make within the framework of the system so uh, those are two elements I think that are key I mean and we'll just keep it on that side from a receiving standpoint because that's what they're asking tight ends to do so that explosion off the line of scrimmage is key getting in and if you are a fast guy that's even just you know more icing on the cake because the fact that you're blowing off there, like I just talked about with Kyle Pitts, sometimes he doesn't do it as frequently, but he's still fast. If you just maximize that, he can be even more dominating and just controlling your body, being able to, you know, with your movements, do it like a receiver does and bigger guys can do it. Kelsey's a bigger guy, 250. He can move his body, uh, you know, as fluent as a receiver does. And and that's, I mean, game over there. That, that's kind of how it works. I mean, there is nobody that can cover that period. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because when we did that study of Travis Kelsey a couple weeks ago, we noted that like he had like 84 catches or something like that were uncontested. Like nobody mm-hmm. around him and his ability to just get out of his stance, uh, get from A to B as fast as possible before uh, people could get on him. Uh, I got to think, to your point, uh, plays a big part in that. Uh, last question I've got for you. Just give us a, a scouting tip here. You know, we're watching tight ends at the college level. Uh, it's draft season. Like, help us out. Everybody can see that, uh, you know, that, that Kyle Pitts is a dude. But outside, when you get past that, well, what's something yeah. that you're looking for at the position where it's like, all right, like, this guy's got it? Well, you know, number one, you, you know, you're always looking for, like, what's going on with the guy's heart, his intangibles. And I really do believe you can find those things on film. You know, number one to me, you know, when they're blocking, you know, are they, a, are they a player that attacks the defender or are they a player that kind of chops and waits for the defender to kind of meet them? The guys that attack, the guys that can shoot their hands inside, ultimately are the guys that are going to be easier to formulate or get to the league and get them to, the, to be a, a player that can do it at a better level at the next, at the next level because of the fact that you know, they're not kind of a timid tight end trying to get at the tight ends. I know a lot of good big blocking tight ends that – don't step towards the target because they feel like they can strong arm and stuff like that. But a lot of these guys aren't as big as maybe when I played at 275, you know, they're coming in a league at 245, 250. They got to do it differently. So the quicker I get on the guy, the better chance I have to be successful. So number one is, are they someone that gets into the defender quickly and aggressively at the point of attack? Uh, Number two is, you know, finish. You know, always trying to figure out what a makeup of a player is inside and what the game means to him when he's blocking. Is it a guy that finishes the block when he gets into a guy and he's into him for about three seconds? Does he want to finish the drive through him and literally just do a little bit extra within the framework of the whistle of the play to finish the guy off? Those to me immediately tell you and you can this is a lot of positions, especially linemen when you're trying to figure out if this kid has or, or he has that attitude and determination to be one of those guys that has that killer mindset. And that's going to be key because if you don't have finishers, you're going to have guys that take off. You're either one or the other. There's no in between. You can't be a finisher, uh, you know, sometimes and then other times just kind of do it. That's got to be your mentality. And that's when you get the great players when you're trying to decipher tackles or guards or centers. And then, of course, tight ends where you're looking at maybe later round guys. That's going to be the determining factor on really how long I think that 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 tells you a little bit about how long these guys can actually play in the league, because that's the mentality they have Uh, from a route running standpoint. You know, again, we talked about a few of those things, but, you know, guys that, you know, when they catch, are they naturally catching the ball when the ball comes to them out of their breaks and getting up the field fast guys that can transition from the catch to getting up the football field will always maximize the yardage that they're looking for to get out of those guys as far as yaks concerned yards after a catch. Guys that kind of, you know, you'll have guys that catch balls and fall down sometimes in the spot they're in. You'll have guys that catch the ball, turn around and kind of wait and see what's going on. You want guys, if you watch Kelsey, of course, he does it the better than anybody. He comes out of his break, he catches it, immediately he's up the field. He is gone, and he's already got two yards more before a defender even comes over to him. So, you know, now it's like, how much of this can you put together? And, of course, you don't need all those variables and all those things for each tight end that you draft because you're drafting for different needs. You may need a guy that can come in on a three tight end or two tight end set that can do a specific job for you. So those, those things to me are are the biggest thing, you know, stats are all good. I've seen a lot of guys come in with a ton of stats, but you know, maybe the system didn't dictate, dictated that a little more than what they may see in the NFL. And you got to make sure that, you know, a lot of those things, do they finish after the catch? You know, are they trying to inflict pain on guys when they have the opportunity, lower their shoulders, 
be a dominant force? Do they have a little excitement to themselves when they're catching balls down the field and making plays? Are they a guy that just, you know, kind of flips the ball and just gets up? I mean, there's there's positive and negatives to both. I mean, I, you want to have a guy that's fiery, but you don't want to have a hothead that, you know, can lose his composure in the game as well. So, you know, those are the small, short, quick things that I look at instantly that lead me to believe if this guy's going to be around the league or not. I really believe there's like the circles around a tree and when you when you cut a tree open, you can see the age of her. That's kind of how I look at, you know, that mentality and attitude in a finish. Do you have a finisher or do you have a guy that's trying to like test the waters a little bit? Normally those guys don't last a long time in the NFL. I can almost guarantee it. And that's something you can find in literally three games, in my opinion, if those guys are going to last or not. And I see it a lot in guys that, you know, maybe aren't on the radar. I like finding, you know, guys that like, okay, well, he's in the mix. He's supposed to get drafted. He's later guy. Uh, perfect example. Uh, I'm trying to think about uh, I, this kid, Sean Culkin out of Missouri, a couple years ago, okay, played yep. with uh, played with Drew Locke, and he did a lot of this spread stuff. And when you watched him, you would think, okay, you know, he's not going to be able to inline and this and that. Well, he came to Florida. He's from uh, Indian Rocks Beach down here. And I trained him for about two and a half months. And I just couldn't believe how good of his how good his footwork was, how strong he was, how good in pass protection he was. Every detail or every nuance that I wanted to teach him, and usually these guys don't understand it, getting their feet in the ground and how they block. This dude came in first day and just opened my eyes. So I knew right off the jump he was going to go somewhere and make it, and he did. He went undrafted. He went to the Chargers. He ended up making the roster the first year and contributing as a third guy. But again, he's still in the league. He's still, I think he's in Baltimore now. Uh, you know, working with them when Nick Boyle with that. But again, a guy that over exceeded because I saw those attributes and those traits. And I said, you know what? And I called teams about it. when he gets there and they see him, they're going to understand, that, you know, what? there's something we can work with here. He can be able to help us. And, you know, th- those are the things I like to look for, too. So there's a lot of players out there. It's it's not an exact science. But in the pandemic, like we have now, you know, trying to be a scout and those GMs out there that are looking, you don't get a lot of live coverage of these guys. You got to figure it out on the film. So, you know, always everybody always says, well, you, you know, you can only see the the tangible stuff. It's like, how do you know how the heart or the uh, his mindset like you can tell those things on certain instances Now, quarterbacks tough because you're not engaging in someone. You can't see a finish. You can only see the product. But every other position, there's usually something, a tell, that gives you a little bit about what's inside the guy. And ultimately, that's those are the guys that play long, you know, in my opinion, whether a first-round pick or, you know, and you want to get those guys. If those guys are already a first-round pick and they have that, then forget about it. They're going to get big money down the road. But those guys that are kind of like, you know, first three, four rounds, or you're trying to figure out, is he worth taking over this guy who's super talented? I'd always take the guy that's close, but yet gives me more finish and gives me more of that, that attitude towards the end because it just – it just means a little more to him. And I know like when it comes to it in the fourth quarter, I can count on that guy. And ultimately he usually extends his career and plays longer. It, it does not shock me hearing you talk about that, that you liked Nick Boyle when he was coming out of Delaware. <laughs> I oh, feel like man. he checks a lot Love of those boxes. Nick Boyle. He's in the best <laughs> spot too. I can't imagine him not playing for like 15 years because, yep. you know, he just, uh, he's old school, but man, he, he is just teams tough to deal with a, t- a guy like him. De- what the defenses are kind of made up of now. Yep, no doubt. Well, uh, Anthony, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you joining us here, giving a little bit of insight into the tight end position. Thanks for joining us on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade.
Great stuff from Anthony. You can go follow on Twitter just like I do, at Anthony underscore Becht. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. But the best way to support the show is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Frank R. 99 left a five-star review saying, I really loved the episode with Brian Billick, and it made me wonder, what is the anatomy of a play call? From the moment the quarterback gets the play, what exactly happens? I see players communicating at the line and players shifting around, but what goes into the different adjustments and how does it affect the current play from the initial call to what is executed on the field? Frank, that is a great question, and I will tell you what, I am going to go and get a coach or a former quarterback. I'm going to get somebody here to take us through that entire process. So, That's all you guys have to do. If you have something that you want found out, if I can't answer it for you right away in a very succinct fashion right here at the end of the show, then I'm going to go get somebody who can really talk through this and we can go through the entire process. So, Frank, that's exactly what we're going to do. I promise you, before uh, we get through into the, the meat of the summer, I will have somebody on the show to go through this topic. It's a great one. I'm so glad you brought it up. If you guys out there have any questions that are like that, if you've ever wondered about a certain process that goes on in the middle of a game or you know in the middle of a drive, Now's the time. Jump on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a question right there in the comment box, and we will get to it here on the show. Thanks so much to Frank and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.